All right, well, uh, today, today uh, we're looking at one of the great parables taught by Jesus. It's one of the most visceral parables taught by Jesus. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, although for our purposes, we're going to look at Mark, but you can check out Matthew, and you can check out Luke. They record it with different little vignettes. For instance, Matthew tells us that Jesus taught this from the prow of a boat, that it was along the Sea of Galilee, and the people were pressing in, so he got into a boat, and the boat became his pulpit. Mark leaves that little detail out, I believe, but Matthew records it. So it's fun to read the different gospel tellers, not because each one, uh, not, not because one's correct and the other are incorrect, it's just you, ten, you send three people to a party, they're all going to come back with different observations, right? They're all going to remember something different or have different opinions about how good the food was or what have you. And so it is when you have these stories that are repeated by each one. And so it's a, it's a long section, but we're going to break it down into two bits. Uh, we're going to look at Mark uh, 2 and, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, Mark 4, I'm sorry, we're, I'm behind in my Bible here. Uh, Mark 4, starting with verse 1 and ending with verse 9. So let's just somebody read loud and clear. If you have uh, the passage open, Mark 4, 1 through 9. How many of you have a green thumb? You grow things. It's okay. Be, be proud of your capabilities. Used to. What's it? What does it take to have a, a proper crop of something, whether that crop is beautiful flowers or whether it's uh, something that you can pluck off the vine and eat, what does it take to grow things? Incidentally, I don't have a green thumb. My wife does. I don't. A miracle. A miracle. Is that what you just said? A miracle? Did you mean miracle grow? Because I told my wife, she uses a lot of miracle Grow. I'm like, I love this organic produce. And she's like, technically it's not organic. We use miracle Grow. I'm like, it's in the earth, honey. Anything that came from the dirt, that's organic. I call anything organic. You know, I call Snickers bar organic because, you know, say they are somehow or another. Twinkie made me not. Miracle. Sunshine. So just some, what's this? A wife, oh, Ken says a wife that knows how to do it. Amen and amen. I built the garden box. She planted and the Lord made it grow. Uh, so the, 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 the Jesus here, he's just using a common metaphor. And in that culture, it would have been really common because in our culture, of course, most of us don't have gardens. So um, in prior eras, uh, I love I'm kind of a buff of history. In the Second World War, people planted gardens. What were they called? Victory gardens, right? And so they, they would plant things for their own consumption because the idea was, hey, anything that could be shipped to the front to support our troops, that's what we were going to do. And so people planted gardens wherever they could, and they'd grow produce and what have you. And so Jesus uses this metaphor that would have just been a very common everyday metaphor. The people would have gotten it. And so he describes this scene of a, of a sower who goes out and he just tosses the seed about. Now today we have like great machinery. I have a cousin who works for John Deere at a commercial level. 
And, uh, and so he's always posting pictures of their equipment. And it's amazing, the technology between GPS. I mean, the person, the farmer today gets in their tractor and they push some buttons. And if it's properly plotted, GPS drives the tractor. I mean, that's pretty weird. I was in a friend's Tesla just last week and it, it operates from the same sort of deal. He was, we were just in the car and uh, other than he controlled the accelerator and those cars move fast. And I did think for a moment I was going to die in his Tesla. I thought, oh, my grandfather who worked for GM would be so ashamed that I'm dying in an electric vehicle. This would be so, so sad. I'm going to see him in heaven and he's just going to be like, Bill, told you not to get in a golf cart. But it is sweet. And the car moved real fast. But but it's all this GPS stuff, right? And so, But back then, no GPS stuff. Back then, there it's literally a, a very simple process. They might, they might plow a certain thing and drop seeds in, but this is a guy who's out there scattering wheat, presumably, or barley or something like that, which isn't going to grow in rows. It's going to grow kind of in a big swath of stuff. Now, before we get into that, though, Oh, I, there's, there's something, and I always love these little subtleties in biblical texts that are there for us to a- examine and explore, but we oftentimes fail to see them because they're just descriptors of the thing around. And so we want to get to the, the, the big story, which is the parable of the, the sower and the seed. But the thing that I want to highlight, and it is Mark that mentions it. I, I can't remember. One of the gospel writers doesn't mention that he's in a boat. But here's Jesus making a, a pulpit out of the, the prow of a boat. And Jesus does this all the time. It's, he's alongside the sea. He teaches. He's in a boat. He teaches. He's uh, walking along. There's a story that precedes this one where he's walking along and his disciples are picking heads of grain and they, he gets some questions and he begins to teach, presumably maybe while they're walking along the path. And so Jesus taught. And yet Jesus also taught in like the standard places where people taught. There are five different instances just in the Gospel of Mark alone where Jesus taught in the synagogues. So it wasn't that he was like anti-establishment, only teaching out there in the wild. He taught in the spiritual centers where that's the sort of thing you would expect. And then he also taught from the boat. He taught from the, from the, the sea, uh, the, the seashore. And, and again, you, maybe you're not wired like I am, so you might be like, so? So what? So what? That is a good question. So what? So in that, it's not a main teaching point. It's not the main reason that Mark records that. But it's there for us to examine and explore, which is just this reminder that throughout our days, there's never a bad time to talk about the things of the Lord. There's never a, there's never a time where you go, well... I guess that's not something we can talk about. It might require wisdom in how to talk about it. Jesus shows us. He tells a story. He's using a parable. So there might be some wisdom in in how we talk about the things of the Lord. But there's never a time where we don't. Someone turn to Deuteronomy 6. 6th chapter of Deuteronomy. Oh, someone knows it. Oh, this is very exciting. So go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6. Okay, someone got it? And in um, the 6, let's see, this would be um, uh, oh, 6, 4. And uh, read 
to verse 9. So 6, 4 to 9. Alright, and who called it the Shema? Alright, and what's Shema mean? It's Hebrew for Hero Israel. If we all spoke Hebrew, we'd hear Hero Israel. But it's Shema. That's kind of cool. Here. All right. So someone's got it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. All right. So um, it, there's this, uh, every now and then you see it. It's kind of funny. You'll see like really faithful uh, Hebrew uh, people. Um, they're, they're like the, there would be kind of considered the Bible thumping fundamentalists of the Jewish religious and they oftentimes have like, uh, you know, they wear all black. They look, they're like Jewish Amish. You know, like that's what I always think of because they dress the same. And, uh, but, but um, sometimes you'll see them with like little, little weird headband things on. And it's actually the scriptures. It's a little miniature scripture. Um, they sell, you can get these, um, and you can get the router bit for it too. They actually sell this little uh, bit that you can um you can route out a section of your doorpost and then you buy the little miniature Torah and it fits up in the little thing and you can, you know, with a Phillips head screwdriver, screw it in. And so you have the door on the doorposts of your house, you have it. So they, they, some people take this to an extreme literalism and that's fine if they do, as long as they're also doing what's behind the literalism, which is they're talking about it. And so Deuteronomy 6, this is, by the way, this is a great family passage. This is, this is something Karen and I have endeavored to do in our house, not because I'm a minister, but this is just how we've lived our family life. You can ask our kids. But uh, around the dinner table, besides talking about schoolwork and dreams of the future and where we're going on vacation, we'll talk about the things of the Lord. We'll talk around the, the table. As you're walking along the path, talk about these things. As, as, you're, um, as you're engaging in conversation. In fact, here's a... Here's a a way for us to even think about our faith engagement is if we're in conversations with people and we can never ever think about how do I bridge from this conversation to a conversation about God, we might want to ask ourselves what kind of conversations we're regularly in. Now, I don't mean, you know, like in certain professional circles, there's a, oh, you got to talk about work. I get it. I mean, you you can't if you're an accountant and you're with other accountants trying to balance the sheets you're not you don't be like you know what this number reminds me of Jesus you know you don't have to be like weird about it but I'm just saying like in our normal comings and goings relationships with friends if nothing ever comes up about God we have to ask what role God's playing in our life maybe he's not and so Jesus gives us I don't want to make too much of it but I also don't want to miss it. He, he gives us a little snapshot. If we look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we oftentimes will see that he's just making the most of every situation. A situation presents itself, and he engages wholeheartedly in a conversation that is of, of substance, that is of consequence, that's worthy of, of having. And if all of our conversations are shallow, petty, silly, goofy, we should have those too, by the way, because we're humans and God made us humans. So it's not that we're to be always uh, giving many Bible lectures. I don't mean that. But, it means, but, but if it never comes up, if it never crosses our mind to talk about the things of the Lord, we might want to do some self-examination. That's not Mark's main point. That was for free. 
All right, let's get into the actual parable. So uh, the actual parable, he says, uh, crowds gather around, they're on the boat, he's on the boat, they're at the water's edge listening. He says, listen, a farmer is how the NIV puts it. Sower is actually a little better because um, it's very specific. Sower went out to sow his seeds and he was scattering the seeds. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places and, and, it, it, and it didn't have much soil. Sprang up quickly and it burns out because what? There's no moisture there. Uh, and then, and then some uh, some fell amongst uh, thorns, so weedy things that uh, choked it out. Still, others fell on good soil, came up, and it was really fruitful and it was beautiful. And then, then he says, uh, "Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear." What does he mean by that? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Not everybody can hear. Why, George? Why? Why can't everybody hear the message? I think Satan's at work. Okay. It keeps them from hearing what they need to hear. We have to acknowledge there is an, yeah. an evil element in all these things. The evil one might be stuffing the ears. Yeah. Well, that's a, isn't that an encouragement to know? One of our jobs is just to present. We're not responsible for the the seed to take root. We do what we can do, but... Some, some of the ears won't hear. So he's, he's actually demonstrating for his disciples who are with him. It's good observation. Um, it, it, it's one of these weird parts. It's the chicken or the egg, right? It's uh, which comes first. Which comes first? Uh, belief so I understand or I understand so that I believe. And oftentimes it just converges at the same time. And there's different schools of thought theologically. There's, there's one school of thought that says, well, God has chosen in the past and just some people end up lucky. And then there are other people who say, well, God knew in the past who would choose, uh, who would respond to him, and those are his chosen ones. And the Bible teaches really kind of both of these things. We're of a Wesleyan persuasion, so we don't tend to go down the path of determinism that says, you just didn't have a choice. You, you were going to be a Christian, and they didn't have a choice. They weren't going to be a Christian. Like, so, uh, and I want to be fair to different uh, theological frameworks. I know in this room we probably have different opinions about how that all comes together. But yet, it somehow comes together. And uh, there's, a, there's a, uh, a, a this strange thing that can happen is a person can hear, 10 people can hear the same thing, and half will hear this and half will hear this right? It happens. I mean, we know it happens. But it's, it's yet this strange thing that people have ears, but they don't listen. You know, they, 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 have, um, they have eyes, and they have no discernment about what. They have a brain, and they can't think. And so this is not a new problem. This is an ancient problem. Now, what Jesus isn't saying is, well, there's different opinions out there, and this is the one I'm going to present. That's how it is in, like, for instance, the world of politics. A lot of the world of politics, like it or not, is a matter of one's own opinion. It is. There's not every issue is of eternal substance. Some of those issues are just opinions. That's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, at least in this country. In other countries, if you have an opinion that differs from the authorities, enjoy your prison sentence. So I'm glad that we live in this one where people can, generally speaking, when fair and not violent towards each other, express their opinions and kind of get away with it, even if the opinions are nuts. But that's not what's being said here. 
This is about not general stuff. This is about the gospel message itself. So just to be clear, this isn't an opinion about this, that, or the other thing. This is about the gospel message itself. Francis Schaeffer says um, uh, that, that the point of faith isn't to have faith in itself. The, the, the Christian faith is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So um, there's another passage, just somebody, if, if you can be quick on it, 1 Corinthians, uh, I think it's uh, 1.18. So 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1.18, that's what I wrote down. I'll tell you if it's the right one when you start reading it. Who's got it? It's Bible drill day today, gentlemen. Next week I'm giving out nickels. That's what my Sunday school teacher gave out. Whoever was quick got a nickel. It was shiny. Actually, he'd give you, he actually, he'd give you a dime in pennies because we were supposed to give one penny in the tithe plate. Kenny Waterman never tithed. <laughs> Neither did I. Okay, nobody's got it? This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Corinthians. And that, that verse, that's one to like underline, star, write down, read later. 1 Corinthians 1.18. The NIV says the message of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. And, and, and some of you have had this encounter before. When you've been bold in your faith, you shared your faith, and people are like, what a bunch of hooey. I mean, that's ridiculous. But to those who are apart from it, it does seem like foolishness to tell somebody in our culture today, you are not born perfect, especially when we're like, oh, that baby's perfect. And to tell someone in our culture today, just because you yearn for something, want something, doesn't mean that you ought to have it. That doesn't, uh, that's almost heresy in our culture today. If you want something and theoretically no one gets hurt, you are entitled to it. Whatever is your persuasion, whatever you tilt towards, whatever it is you like is all good. And, and to, to self-examine that one of the messages is, you're not that great. You're in desperate need of Jesus, that through your life, you have not only made mistakes, but you were born imperfect, in an imperfect world. And so, just because you yearn for something, I'll give you for instance, and I don't know that this applies to every single man in this room and online, but it does apply to all the men I personally know and have talked to. I won't ask for a show of hands, but most men I know really, really, truly at some point in their life, if not yet today, wish they could have a harem. A harem. A harem. A, just a bevy of beautiful ladies to wait on them in the way that they would like to be waited on. And that's all I'll say, right? Well, for some, that's wisdom, George. I wish every guy of your age and stage agreed with you. But I have a feeling there's more than a few men. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, as I've gotten older, that ability to cook is way more important than other things I thought was important when I was 16. But, but uh, yes. Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. 
that's why I qualified this with at some point or another in your life. Now, you might have to go back to when you were 17, because if life taught you anything, is that idea is foolish. It's an absolutely foolish idea. What I'm getting at is this. If, if at the time that you thought, I should get a harem, that is the right thing, and you could somehow pull it off, and somehow you lived in a time and a, a space in your life where you could have a harem of women, that would not be good for you, even if the culture of the land said it was okay. That would be terrible for you. That would be actually sinful according to the Bible and uh, you would be you'd end up very disappointed you just you if you could resurrect Solomon and ask him he would say if I had to do over I'd stick with one but but at some point or another most guys have this in their hearts and to be told that's not good for you and also the lady won't appreciate the opportunity either but it won't be good for you just because you are wired for something doesn't mean you ought to give in to your wiring. You should resist your wiring because your wiring, it tell them I said hi, George. Um, the, the, wiring, the wiring is corrupted too. That's a very unpopular message in our culture today. People don't like to hear that. They like to hear, well, this is how I'm made. Not, it might be, but that wiring might be broken with sin. And so to cave in and to give into that isn't good for you. We know this. I mean, we would never say, if someone, if you had a friend who's like, you know what? I love to drink and get drunk. You wouldn't be like, well, I know what I'm getting you for your birthday, right? You'd be a, oh, you'd be a horrible friend. I got you a six pack. I thought, who's the alcoholic I know? You. And you are just, happy birthday. You'd be a horrible friend. That, no, a good friend would be like, I will never drink around you. How can I help you? How can I support you? Join Celebrate Recovery. We got a whole communi community of people who walk alongside you. Just because you are leaning towards something doesn't mean that thing's good. And so to the foolish, those who are perishing, this is nuts. I, I don't like being told no. I don't like being told I'm not good enough. I don't like being told that I need to change. I hate that. But if I have Christ living in me, it, part of the fruitfulness of the Christian life is I can hear it. I can hear it. All right, so getting on with the story, Jesus then sits down with the 12 and others around him. So, you know, there's this little, um, little uh, uh, team of people that include the 12, but also have some more with him. And the Bible tells us who some of those people are elsewhere. And he told them that the, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, which if your translation might read mystery. Do you have mystery in your translation? The, the mystery of the kingdom of God. So that's the old word for it. And mystery back then really was secret. So they, like modern translations, just translate it so that we don't have to go, mystery, like uh, unsolved mystery. It just means from the masses, things are kept opaque. But to you, we're going to give the detail. So uh, he even points out, hey, the masses, uh, they're ever seeing, this is what it says, they're ever seeing but never perceiving. They're ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And that's a quote from Isaiah, but um, it, <laughs> it looks a little bit like Jesus is kind of a jerk in this. Like, why wouldn't you want people to hear it? And he's not being a jerk. What he's, he's describing something. He's not prescribing something. He's saying, here's the weird part of the human heart. They see, they're always wanting to learn, but they never seem to learn. They, they talk, they, they say they want wisdom, but wisdom eludes them. They are always on the prowl, and they never quite latch on. That's some people. I'm not going to ask you to name names, but 
you have names for those people in your life, don't you? All of us know some people like, oh, my list of people. Who, in fact, if it, here's the thing. If you don't know some people that just, they are constantly on the lookout for new stuff or they're, they're, they seem to always be curious, but they're not wise, they're foolish. They're, if you don't know anyone like that, it's because you're on someone else's list. You're that guy to someone else. Like, oh boy. All right. I'm just trying to see how many insults I can get out in one setting without you leaving the room. Uh, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And, the, and you can feel a little like frustration in his voice. And before we judge the disciples, we, we sit in that room too. I mean, I know I do. There's plenty of times where I'm reading something. I'm like, I should have known this a long time ago. Okay. The farmer sows the word. The word of God. He sows it. I mean... What word? The whole Bible? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. I mean, that's, that actually makes the most sense plugging in there. The specific is the, the need for Christ at the very center of your life. But, but keeping that broad, some people are like seed along the path where the, where the word is sown. Is, as soon as they hear it, here's what George says, Satan comes and takes it away. And they don't even have a moment. Now, now maybe, just maybe... Um, they're victims of a satanic stronghold. But quite frankly, some people have given themselves over to evil so much that it just gets snacked, uh, snatched so quickly. It's not because they're victimized. They have walked right into the evil one's arms. They've embraced a life that is so dark, sinister, and full of sin that, that they don't actually have any tender soil in their life to receive the seed. So don't think of that person as a victim. I don't look down on them either, but just recognize that these different types of soil don't just happen. I heard one preacher, Kent Hughes, when I was in college, I heard him preaching on this passage. And he said, one of the jobs of a Christian is to try to cultivate the soil around us, cultivate in the lives of people an openness for God's word. But that also applies to us. How are we letting the, the, the soil of our lives be tilled up? Through the power of God. So he says some, is, uh, some have, uh, have, have surrounded themselves in such a worldly context that the evil one just snatches the seed right away. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. They're, they're maybe playing spiritual games. Maybe they have a toe in church, but their most of their life is spent elsewhere. They, they every now and then have a, a spiritual interest and then it dissipates and it disappears. And so um, it, it, it comes up with joy. They have no root. They last only a short time because the, the soil's dry. And so there's enough moisture to give root to something, give blossom something, and then it's gone. Uh, when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And some of us know people like that. Some of us, that's a story or a chapter of our life where we began to grow spiritually and then because of the community we were around, we got made fun of, so we kind of squelched that part and we, we are later comer backers to the kingdom of God. And that's beautiful if you come back to it. But this is just a reality that some people have in their life. They, they have just enough religion, if you will, or space for it, for something to grow up and then it's gone. Still others are like seeds sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries, I, I love that Jesus gives us it. The worries of this life, we all have them. The deceitfulness of wealth, 
Now, what's interesting to me is these are not wealthy people he's talking to. I mean, we're, every person in this room is fabulously wealthy compared to every peasant spread throughout the world even today. I mean, the, the, there's all these great statistics out there that show like our average, even our quote-unquote poor, are fabulously wealthy compared to other parts of the world. Well, that's, that's even more so compared to the ancients. If you have a toilet in your house you can flush and a sink from which you can not only wash your hands but drink from, you are more fabulously wealthy than King Herod was. Amen. God agrees. God agrees. So if you weren't going to say amen, God was. So there we go. But So the deceitfulness of wealth, it, it doesn't matter how much you have. You can have nothing and go, man, that guy has a sweet donkey. I wish I had his donkey. Or you can have a nice car and go, I wish I had his car. Or you could, it's the deceitfulness of it. It's not even obtaining it. And the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. It happens. It happens to all of us if we're not careful. Others, like seed grown on good soil, hear the word, they accept it, produces a crop, something 30, 60, some 100 times what is sown. And so what Jesus is getting at, and this is just a, a, an absolutely beautiful passage. And so what my hope is, is uh, you, you get the emails, hopefully, and so on that is the Bible passage, is spend some time coming back to this today or this week and looking at the 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 various layers of this passage of scripture. But here's the question, and this is the question I leave you with. What kind of soil am I? Not what kind of soil is the person I live with, or my kids, or my grandkids, or the people I know. I don't mean those people. The self-reflective question, because what we can do is we can go to God and ask, God, would you till up the soil of my heart? Would you, um, would you begin the weeding process and take the thorns out? Would you take the rocks out? See, I think, that's the, I think that's a prayer that God likes to answer. I've shared this before, and, if you'll, uh, and I think I've shared it in this in the year, year or two ago. But um, if you'll permit me, I share it again. Is, uh, many years ago, one of my close friends up in Michigan, a guy named Doug, uh, we were in a men's group together, and Doug just said, you know, I've ne- I, I have a very hard time reading the Bible. I, I just don't spend a whole lot of time, and I've never read through the whole Bible. So not only do I have a hard time, like, with a devotional life that's consistent, but I, I just have never even sat down. And this is a guy who grew up in the church, grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist Bible church. So he's like, I, of all people, I should have, but I just never did. So I said, well, let's do two things. Um... One is, let's get you a Bible reading plan that will work for you. And so we actually went to a Christian bookstore back when those were a thing. And we, we found a, a one-year Bible. And I bought one too. And I said, but that's not enough. What we need to do is pray that God gives a heart a desire. That, 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 I don't, that a day wouldn't go by where I don't have a need for your word, God. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I'm sure in a room like this, there's more than one guy who struggles with the regular time in God's word. Rather than just cram one more self-discipline in, ask God, God, give me a heart for your word. Give me a desire to be in it. And then have a plan. And so Doug, uh, Doug adopted that, and uh, it started something for the, the two of us. And eventually, uh, my, my wife uh, 
got her own one-year Bible. One of my kids got theirs. And, and so uh, every now and then, Doug and I text each other pictures from what we're reading in our morning reading. And we'll, we'll swap kind of some insights or some thoughts or some encouragement from that morning reading. And that was well over 20 years ago. It's about 23 years ago now. And so that's 23 times. Go from not reading the Bible through once to Doug's read it through more than 23 times because he's like, after a while, it like a fire burned within him. But it starts with, God, cultivate the soil of my heart. If I'm honest, God, I don't, I, I do worry about the worries of this world. Or I do think about the things I wish I had. I, I, the best of me oftentimes is in this hobby, this interest, this sport, the news, whatever. And you get so little. God, flip that around. I think if you pray that prayer, I think God will honor that prayer. So here's my request is if, if that's you and you, you do that at some point and God gets a hold of it, share that. Share that with the guys at your table. Let me know. Boy, I'd love to know. Because I, I've yet to have one single person go, you know, I prayed daily for like a week. God, give me a desire for your word, and I never got one. I, I've yet to have that person follow up and go, you know, I really, I prayed, and I prayed God would soften my heart, but instead it's just gotten harder. I've yet to have that happen. And I bet that's the kind of prayer. Of all the prayers we pray, most of which are not that great, that's a great one. All right? That's what I leave you with. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thanks for this great group of men who are so attentive. Listen to me ramble on. I pray that something that was said here would uh, sink deep within us. If I said anything that was uh, not right or not on the mark, Lord, just forgive me of that, and I pray that you'd uh, set that aside. But instead, Lord, we more than anything want to hear from you. So let this parable just sink very deep. And I pray for each man in this room and those online that you would cultivate the soil of our hearts. Give us a, a yearning, a thirst for you that only you can quench. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, good to be with you guys. Uh, our brother Blake will be with you uh, next week. I'll be back in town, but I'm out of town, so he will be our... Uh, he will come back, and he will finish up. I think he's finishing up Zechariah. So we'll see about that. See you guys.